So this man runs up to Jesus and he asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Inherit. Inherit eternal life. In my experience, to inherit anything, all you need to do is to be related to someone who died. You don't actually do anything. But this man's question, it actually reflects something that's pretty important about the human heart. We wonder what comes next, including what will happen when we die and what we can do about it. This is such an important topic that as Jesus deals with this man, he, he, he handles him gently and yet firmly. He points the man to the commandments, basically saying, if you want to do anything to inherit eternal life, it would certainly be to keep God's law, right? That kind of makes sense. This is the things that, these are things God said, do this and you're going to live. Well, if you want to inherit eternal life, I bet you better do those things. And then the man replies in a way that just boggles the mind. He says, basically, okay, I've done those. Can you imagine telling Jesus that you've lived your life perfectly? I'm glad some of you are chuckling because I've been, I'm looking at this and going, man, talk about not knowing yourself. This man does not see. He is blind to how perfect holiness is and how insidious Sin is. You see, we people, we like to grade on a, on a curve. We, we grade by comparison. Did I do better than the person next to me? But God grades on the standard of holiness. And, and no one, no one lives up to that. And, and that's, that's what makes these next words all the more important. And it's why we should cherish what Jesus says in this gospel lesson the way he handles this man. Because Mark tells us, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus loved him. And because he loved him, he absolutely rocked the man's world and sought to open his eyes to see his true spiritual condition. He doesn't rub the man's nose in it. He gently deals with him to open his eyes, to recognize that he really hadn't kept God's law. You lack one thing, Jesus says. One thing, one thing, great. I got one thing I need to fix. That's it? What is it? Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven then come, follow me. And the man went away sad because he was very wealthy. The man loved his wealth, his comfort, his status, more than he loved his neighbor. Certainly more than he loved the poor and more than he loved Jesus. Can you relate? That might be kind of a personal question this early in the morning. I can. 
Our possessions have a way of, of taking hold of our hearts. Finances fill our minds. Our wants outstrip our needs and they overshadow the needs of others. Sometimes it's as if the things that we own possess us instead of the other way around. And if our possessions take hold of our hearts, they become gods to us. Gods that we love above the true God and that we love above our neighbors. And we remember what the Lord says about gods, right? You shall have no other gods. And you cannot serve both God and your possessions. You know, every once in a while, I remember in youth group, we would play these, this game called Would You Rather? Have, have you ever done this? Where they, they offer two ridiculous choices, like, you know, I don't want either one. Um, but, you know, would you rather? And, and I want to I put a would you rather before you today. Would you rather have riches and comfort on earth or treasure in heaven? Would you rather be comfortable now and have peace and prosperity? Or would you rather have Jesus? Even if that meant suffering and sacrifice. Now someone might ask, can't I have both? It's a fair question. I'd kind of like to have peace and prosperity and treasure in heaven. Thank you very much. And I would say maybe that's possible. God blesses us with earthly blessings. All good things come from God. It really rather depends on what happens in your heart. You know, do your comfort, peace, and prosperity open your heart to love God and to love your neighbor? Do they move you to thank God and help people? Do they help your worship and serve his kingdom? Because if so, that, that truly is a, a beautiful gift from God. And in my opinion, it's rare. The heart is deceitful above all things. God searches the heart and he tests the mind. And all too often, he sees those attachments that we have to earthly things that we're, we're really rather blind to, that we're just like the man in, in the encounter with Jesus. And our disregard for, for the treasures of heaven, um, he sees that far better than we do. Take care, said the writer to the Hebrews, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Because that's the human condition. And our hearts are always seeking to deceive us. So how? How do we protect ourselves from the deceit of those, those sinful desires that, that just, they always reside within us? Well, when it comes down to how we relate to our, our earthly goods, God has given us some gifts to help us. He's given us some habits to focus our attention on him instead of on ourselves. And reading the scriptures and praying are key among these. 
being here in worship and hearing his word and receiving the sacraments. That's, that's some of those gifts. But on a bit more tangible level, God has given us the gifts of offering tithes and offerings. I know that on the surface, our offerings look like something that we do collectively to pay the bills of the church. And, and there is that element to what's going on here. No doubt about it. But there's, there's more going on here. And the more is very important. God asks us to give offerings of something that's important because it represents our hearts. It represents our love for him. It reflects our thanks. And it's, it's part of our worship. I think because of the way that we handle offerings, sometimes we just see it as this perfunctory thing that happens between the sermon and the communion. But it's not. It's really us engaging with God and our tangible goods. And there's a question there of what are we going to do with those tangible goods in our relationship with God? And so we worship God with our earthly goods, with our finances. You know, our offerings reflect our thanks. They are part of our worship. And in the Old Testament, God commanded offerings. In fact, he commanded that they offer from the first fruits. That the offerings that would be given would be given off the top of the harvest. The first things that came in, those are the, what were offered. The best that came in, that's what you were supposed to give. Because it helped the people to see God as their priority not just their earthly needs. And he was teaching them, and he's teaching us to position their relationship with God as their chief priority, the central matter of their lives. Look to the first fruits. See God's kingdom as the place to invest yourself. Financially, yes, you know, we're going to be pledging, and that's, that is talking about those funds. But also your time, your skills, the abilities that God has blessed you with. How do you give those back to the Lord? Along with first fruits, uh, God teaches us to give by percentage. It's not a matter of an equal gift, but an equal sacrifice. And sacrifices, they begin in the heart. We need to remember that as we go through this. So again, in the Old Testament, God commands the people to tithe, to give 10%. That's what a tithe is. It's 10%. A dime on every dollar was supposed to go back to God. Now, sometimes we balk at this and we say, but that's the Old Testament. We're the New Testament people. And we're set free from the requirements of the law. And that's true. Thanks be to God that he sent Jesus and he has freed us from the requirements of the law. We have Jesus. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have everlasting life. Salvation is a free gift that God has given to us. 
We are blessed in ways that the people of the Old Testament longed for, dreamed about. So let me ask you, do you really think that means that we should give less than God commanded them to give? No. No. Now that being said, giving is about the heart. God loves a cheerful giver. The Bible says that, okay? I have to make sure I, when I talk about money, people are like, hmm. <laughs> Whew, this is hard work today. If you're not tithing, I encourage you to work toward it. I'm not saying jump out and say, I'm changing my budget right now, 10%, right off the top. If you can do that, God bless you, fantastic. But for most people, there's just some practicality of having to realigning uh, some priorities and some funding. But I would encourage you to work toward it. Look at what you give now. What percentage of your income is that? Then raise your offering by 1% this year. Or maybe a half percent. But keep stretching yourself. And year on year, work toward that tithe. Give from your first fruits. Give a percentage. Give joyfully. Because this is about the heart. It's about the heart engaging with God. We give because we love God. We love his kingdom. We, we long for the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. Things like love, forgiveness, reconciliation, justice, eternal life, resurrection from the dead, and holiness. These are treasures that last forever. Now, is this hard? I, I, I think it is. Is it challenging? Absolutely. We're dealing with the heart. And heart work is often hard work. We often fear that we will lack something if we give too much, as though <clears throat> that were the worst thing that could happen to us. Lack. But a friend of mine used to remind me that every time we talked about stewardship, he would say, you can't outgive God. And I found that to be true. That's not to say that, that increasing your giving will make you more financially wealthy. That, you know, because you give more, all of a sudden you're going to have this influx of money into your life. If that's why we're giving, that, that's not the right heart, is it? But giving certainly has other blessings connected to it. And God blesses it. As you consider your pledge, which you're going to be collecting next Sunday, Pledge Sunday is next Sunday. Um, I'd like for you to keep this gospel lesson in mind. Maybe read it a couple more times. Meditate on it. Especially verse 21, when it says that Jesus looked at the man and loved him. Jesus looked at the man and loved him because he knew that man was in a hard spot. And when we deal with our finances, when we deal with these things that grab at our hearts, we, he knows we are in a hard spot as well. But Jesus looks at you and he loves you. He knows our hearts. He knows our fears. He knows our struggles. 
But he also knows how great the treasure of heaven is. And he invites you. He calls you. Follow me. Amen.